Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, me Koroi Hawkins. Coming up first... And we're absolutely uh, in tune and aligned with the thinking of our community. The New Zealand government allocates over $119 million to policies affecting Pacific peoples. Pacific governor has been acquitted of the corruption and neglect of duty charges. We hear more about the outcome of the impeachment trial in the CNMI. Well, our offices are sort of pretty much, they're pretty much derelict and where we're looking to rebuild them. And a fund overseen by World Rugby is being set up to help rebuild Tonga's rugby facilities. The New Zealand government has allocated over $190 million in its 2022 wellbeing budget to policies and programmes that will directly benefit Pacific peoples. This includes 76 million New Zealand dollars in operating funding for Pacific Health Services and 47 million in operating funding has been also announced for Pacific Education and Employment Initiatives. Joining me is the Minister for Pacific Peoples, Aupito William Seal. Talon Falava and welcome back on Pacific Waves, Minister. So, first of all, the overall perception we've got from people in the Pacific community that we've been speaking to in the lead up to the budget is that they're tired of band-aid gestures and they want long-term solutions. In this budget, are there long-term solutions for Pacific health, for education and for social welfare issues? And we're absolutely uh, in tune and aligned with the thinking of our community. And, and that's one of the reasons why we're saying that this budget creates economic security for now and for our future as a, as a community. So we're not only providing support in the here and now, um, particularly for those facing the cost of living pressures, but also we've got to we're thinking about carefully managing our spending and keeping debt under control. Uh, and so, for Pacific, we're benefiting from the all of government approach that we've heard from the budget today by the Minister of Finance. But then, in terms of the long term, for Pacific, in addition to the overarching uh, benefits that arrive from the budget, we've got. Um, the Pacific will also benefit from Budget 22 providing a Pacific package of funding that is targeted uh, to continue our work in enriching Pacific peoples in Aotearoa, and I'm talking culturally, socially, economically, to continue embedding the all-of-government Pacific well-being approach that we've been working and delivering on from 2019 using our Lalanga Four Goals, and to continue our COVID-19 recovery work and making sure that we're not leaving anyone behind. Now, now uh, getting into some details, now obviously um, early days, so we're just sort of skimming through at this point and looking into some detail. Um, today's budget we're seeing um, in New Zealand includes 76 million New Zealand dollars in operating funding for Pacific Health Services. However, health providers we've spoken to say Auckland alone needs about 200 million. Do you think this is a failure for Pacific health providers and what they were asking for? Not, not exactly. We're we're heading, we're delivering on the reform that our Pacific expert advisory group, our Pacific providers have all been a part of, as well as our Pacific community uh, in the last year and a half. And so that reform, while the while the specific is about providing um, money for our Pacific providers, this is unprecedented. Unprecedented 49.9 million for Pacific providers to make sure that we're shifting into new models of care. Um, so that's a that's a big lift in what our providers have been receiving. And secondly, we're targeting um, 
the ills that the experts have been going on about, that we've got to target um, the diabetes care for the next foreseeable five years, because that leads to a lot of other health problems. But more importantly, um, as we unpack the, the whole health package, you'll see that there's money in for workforce development, there's money in for things like bowel cancer, um, money in for mental health, and all of it is couched in making sure that we have um, a lens, a Pacific lens across it, Pacific leadership leading the charge from right from the top all the way through uh, localities in South Auckland um, and in other parts of New Zealand. Turning to Pacific business now, Pacific business owners felt obviously the mental and emotional pressures from operating under COVID. The funding for Pacific businesses this year, is it slightly less this year compared to last year? And why is that? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, no, I'd say to you, when we started this work, it was it was $2 million, um from the Provincial Growth Fund at the end of 2019. We did some testing pilots out in the regions. Then in budget 2021, we got 16 point something million. In this budget, um, what we're ad- doing is adding 15.4 million on top of that money. Because you have to remember, these are funding for four to five years out. And so we're now spending what we did by, we launched the Pacific um, Business Village a couple of weeks ago in Tauranga, where businesses can apply for up to a hundred thousand dollars for assets that will ensure that they can respond to extra work and make sure that that their projection uh, are going to be enduring and they're creating jobs for their families as well as for the local community. So this money is to add on top of that money and to make sure that we're looking long term. So we're adding more years to the security of funding for small, uh, medium Pacific businesses. One one final concern from the business community that we saw coming through was concern about transparency, about funds, especially um, they were saying accountability about funds that were going to the Pacific, the allocation especially of funds going to the Pacific community uh, was a bit of a, a weakness they they thought is not a strong point for this government. What would you say about that, about the transparency about funds in the Pacific package? I, I would be very careful in accepting that rhetoric, Corey, coming from people who are political themselves, and, and I refer to Rachel Kors, who's a candidate for the National Party. And so I, I, I would just say, look, um, yes, this is public money. We are always on top of it. I'm accountable back to the select committee to make sure that we're um, being very transparent in where the money will go. The ministry themselves uh, also, on an annual basis, has to report back to the Select Committee in Parliament to show um, um, where they've spent the money. Um, every Pacific provider, every Pacific business network, every business that is receiving funding from the public purse also has to be able to provide report, and all of that is um, is audited. And so I'm confident that we've got the systems in place to ensure there's accountability and transparency. After all, it is public investment. But the outcomes we are seeking is for our business to grow, business to provide employment, and to make sure that we're enriching the lives of our Pacific peoples. 
turning to uh, a different area now with the 13.7 million to deliver uh, Dawn Raid's historical account. Yeah. What does this entail? So um, what government has signed off on, and, and as part of our commitment at the Dawn Raid's apology, was to ensure that we collect um, our Pacific people's stories and that we're getting our artists involved and that we ensure that we have a comprehensive history of the Dawn Raids so that we're able to use that, profile that online, but also use it as part of the foundational work um, for our educational curriculum, but also to help the next generation ensure that, um, you know, that the mistakes of the past are, are, are not repeated. I mean, the Pacific population of Aotearoa are an integral strand of the fabric of Aotearoa New Zealand. And the racism um, that that Pacific peoples experienced during the dawn raids periods caused irreparable trauma and emotional harm. And the fact that our children today are experiencing the same thing, we really need to collectively as a nation address it. And in order to do that, we have to collect this history from people who experienced it, others who uh, who were not Pacific but themselves were affected by it. And so there's a number of um, initiatives within that uh, package would enable not just our people who impact it, but others who have a story to share, including our artists. And so there's a number of packages that will be part of that uh, Dawn Raids um, uh, work. Along the same line, is there anything in this budget for overstays? Already we're hearing some commentators saying it's a missed opportunity. Current, that, current overstays. That's a question for the Minister of Immigration. What I can say to you is that's work that I have raised with the Minister of Immigration. Um, his officials are aware of it, but it is work that's going to take time. The yeah. uh, the $840 million for 350 per person cost of living payments for individuals yeah. earning under 70 k Does this exclude people on welfare benefits? Does it, no, because you remember that the, the pre-announcement prior to the package of lifting uh, the Working for Families package for families with children... Um, including the lift in superannuation and then the winter energy payment, what this does is enables to support those, anyone 18 years of old who are earning uh, less than $70,000 are able to get that payment. Thank you so much. I mean, so those are all my, my um, written, written yes. questions. I thought yep. maybe if you'd like to make a final statement on, on the budget and the, the Pacific package. Look, what I'd say is this is it's been um, it's an exciting package. We're aware of the challenges. We're trying to respond to the everyday challenges that that our communities are facing. I can say with hand on heart that our Pacific families will benefit immensely with the overall response to the cost of living pressures. But then, more importantly, we're looking to the future. So this package, the targeted approach to the Pacific will continue our work in enriching Pacific peoples in Aotearoa. We will continue embedding our all-of-government Pacific well-being approach, using our Lailanga Four goals, and we'll continue our COVID-19 recovery work to ensure no one is left behind. But we are laying really strong foundations to continue with the first well-being budget of 2019. Thank you so much, uh, Minister. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much.
The CNMI Senate has acquitted Governor Ralph Torres of all six articles of impeachment against him with all seven remaining sentences voting strictly along party lines. The proceedings on Wednesday marked the end of an unprecedented impeachment trial at the Senate that was conducted without prosecutors from the House of Representatives and with the Senate rejecting the entire House impeachment record. With me is our CNMI correspondent, Mark Rabago. Kia ora and welcome back on Pacific Waves. Mark, tell us more about the outcome of this impeachment trial. So uh, after three short days, the CNMI Senate finally voted on the impeachment trial of Governor Ralph de Leon Guerrero Torres. And as expected, on a vote of 43 in favor of no conviction, the sitting governor has been acquitted of uh, the corruption and neglect of duty charges that were filed against him by the House of Representatives. So uh, this closes a historic phase in our uh, young Commonwealth. And well, this was the second time a governor was impeached, the second after Governor Rock de Leon Guerrero Torres uh, a decade ago. And this, but this was the first time the Senate actually went through with the trial. So after three days in the Senate and two years of investigation from the House, it is finally done so everybody can rest now. Although there's some critics who are saying this was a sham trial, at least everybody can now move on, move on to do their business. Uh, for Torres, he's looking at his re-election come November. And for his opponents in the in the House of Representatives, primarily uh, one of the leading opposition leaders, opposition uh, lawmakers, uh, Tina Sablan, to oppose him and uh, elections, as said, elections in November. Yes, I'll come come to the election in and again in a bit. You you mentioned it, it, the critics calling it a sham. If you can explain just for our listeners the mechanics behind this and why why they are calling it a sham. Well, there's, there was a big divide between the Senate and the House. The House of Representatives, House Speaker uh, William Gomez, wanted a team of prosecutors to prosecute Torres in the Senate. But under the Senate rules that, you know, uh, they said allies of Torres crafted, there could only one be one prosecution or prosecutor, that is. So there was a big divide in that. So they didn't allow that. The House, whoever they picked, didn't want to be the prosecutor. So there was no prosecution. Have you ever seen a trial that there was no prosecution? This was it. So what happened was uh, the team of lawyers of Torres just presented their case. This is why Torres should be convicted, yada, yada, yada. There was no cross-examination. There wasn't even any witnesses. Torres wasn't even asked to go into the chamber and explain himself. So nothing of that matter happened. Second, all, almost nine, 8,000 pages of... Uh, testimonies, recordings, basically evidence against Torres were not admitted. The Senate said they were not in the proper form. Some pages were not paginated or all the pages were not paginated and they didn't confirm, conform, I mean, with the Senate rules. So they were just not admitted. There was no evidence against Torres that was shown to the uh, judges, which are the senators. So there was no basis of... uh, aside from the presentation of Torres as lawyers, to, to judge Torres on. So those two uh, already uh, question, already big question in the, the proceedings, the trial. Also aside from that, even before the trials started in the Senate, two of uh, Torres' allies actually recused themselves. One, because Pini 
Senator Vinnie Vincent Sablan is his running mate in the elections come November. And the second one, Senator Gusto Kitegua, is actually related to his grandmother. So they had conflicts of interests. And the run-up to the, to the trial, the three minority senators actually also introduced themselves. Uh, they said they wanted to wait for the outcome of the motions uh, brought in support that would disallow uh, the use of the Senate's rules in this impeachment trial. But then again, yesterday, they still voted. Senators Paul Magnonia, Teresita Santos, and uh, Edith Dillian Guerrero voted yes to impeachment. But since she needed six votes to uh, unseat the governor and convict him and be guilty, uh, the four senators, senators' neighbors, senator, Senate President, um, Judah Schneider, uh, Frank Cruz, and uh, Francisco Cruz, and Victor Hopog opted to absolve him, and so he was uh, he was acquitted. And, and so com- coming coming now, looking forward now to the to the elections, no more obstacles in in his way in in the governor's way in terms of heading into that election. Oh, there's still uh, so the attorney general's office. Uh, filed the same charges that the House of Representatives uh, charged Torres uh, corruption and neglect of duty in, in the courts. So that, that's still on the table for uh, for Torres. So that still has to be decided. Right. And what's the timeline on that? They're still looking at legal matters. Like Torres wants the AG disqualified from prosecuting him because basically he said that he, uh, the AG is, he is the client of the AG and is not, not supposed to be prosecuted by somebody who is basically getting paid by the government. So there's, there's still a lot to go. There's still, and then there's this lawsuit about uh, the contempt charges against Torres uh, because of what he did in the House that he didn't. Remember, he was asked to appear before the House and he didn't. So he was uh, charged with uh, contempt. So he lost that, contempt, that lawsuit not to contempt him. Let's see what's going to happen there. So there's still... but. Um, if you look at the, the, the picture in the, gover- in the governor's race, Tina Sablan uh, is running against Torres. And we actually, some say that Torres will win. Some say people want change. I'm looking at the comment section of our newspaper, Saipan Tribune. A lot of them were disappointed with the trial. I don't know if that's going to translate to Tina Sablan votes. That remains to be seen. A fund overseen by World Rugby is being set up to help rebuild Tonga's rugby facilities. The Tonga Rugby Union Chief Executive, Peter Harding, says rugby activity in the country is at a standstill because of the eruption in tsunami and the following COVID outbreak. He says they approached World Rugby to have them manage a fund to hold donations from overseas, which can be used to restore grounds and other facilities. Mr Harding spoke with Don Wiseman and began by detailing the situation the sport finds itself in in Tonga. Well, our offices are sort of uh, pretty much they're pretty much derelict, and where we're looking to rebuild them. This is what part of the fund is going to be for, so that we can get back to managing rugby in the in the country. Um, the grounds, there's only about two or three grounds that are in good shape, because I think people also forget that in 2018 we had our cyclone Dita, which was the strongest cyclone in the Pacific. I think it was stronger than Winston even, and then we had another major cyclone in 20, at the beginning of 2020 as well. So we've, in four years, we've had three massive events. And rather than looking after rugby facilities, which is, you know, 
requires specific skills and that require people to go out and do it. People have been looking after recovering homes, schools, roads and all those sorts of things. So it has been a general slide and then once the volcano went off as well and the fact that people weren't allowed to get out, the facilities just got have been getting worse and worse. And, and now, say, for example, we will need to re, regenerate grounds and regenerate goalposts just generally. The majority of places don't have really have dressing rooms or anything like that, so that's not that much of a concern. It's just having the grass and the balls and putting goalposts up again to get started again. World Rugby yeah. is, is stepping in. What are they going to do? What we did when it would go off, I was stuck in Australia and, um, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, we split all, everything into three, three areas. We had like a lot of generous attempts to help from different rugby organisations around the world. We had smaller attempts to help, which was just goods, etc., and we also had the disaster agencies coming in. So we divided it into like, if, say, for example, the tribes for Tonga went to, I think it went to Red Cross. or So that's fine. Look after that. That goes to Red Cross. And the game in Queensland went to UNICEF. So that's fine. We didn't want to get in the way of the agencies and how the agencies work. We wanted to make sure that, you know, like we didn't want to be putting our hands up to try and get in their way. But we want to make sure if people desperately definitely wanted to give it to rugby. We had two ways of doing it, and that was large donations. Um, they could set up a fund, and we would do that through World Rugby, which would be, um, and that fund would be a safe place for them to put it, uh, for other play- people in, around the world to put it, so that it would go to the areas they, they were requiring it go to. And the other area was for smaller donations, like England rugby, the England rugby team's given a heap of kit. Uh, we've got stuff off Moana Pacifica. We've got Youth in Union ascending stuff. I think the Blues ascending stuff as well. So those smaller donations, we um, we looked after those ourselves. The uh, um, the larger financial donations, which would be money that were meant to go towards rugby specifically, uh, we worked with World Rugby to set up an account. So as I said, there was a safe harbour for everyone to put their cash, so they knew how it was being used. Okay. So at this point, is it what sort of money is in that account? Well, it's only just been set up last week. <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, this is a trust account, so we've had to go through. Since that's happened, we've had to get everything together, get the um, the okay with World Rugby, and we've set up the account, and World Rugby have kicked it off with a, a donation of £100,000, which is great. A lot of other unions have indicated post the blast and post the tsunami that they wish to help, and the next step is to go to these unions and say, yeah, if you're still willing to help, this is the account to put it in, and this is the actual... The scope of works that we're going to be presenting and how your money will be used. You're going to need people like turf managers and whatever, aren't you, if you've got all these grounds to try and restore? That's an interesting point. At the moment, we wouldn't be able to get the turf managers in anyway because we're still you know, under partial lockdown. There's only one flight back every three weeks. So at this stage, yeah, I think, I think like the interesting thing is we've got to come up with a scope of works and a really good plan on how we're going to use this money, and that would definitely be part of it if there was turf managers available. Like our national stadium was redone. The New Zealand government was very generous in re-turfing our national stadium about seven or eight years ago, and we had um, a very experienced turf manager from New Zealand rugby do that, and it was, it was a fantastic job, and it's still in great shape because he taught a few people up here. There's three or four guys that work there and keep it in good nick. So, yeah, that's a good point. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tofa soifu.